everyone. This is Jessica Steinberg from the Times of Israel weekly podcast, The Times Will Tell. This week, we're talking about the Jewish life of Alexander Hamilton with Andrew Porwancher, an associate professor at University of Oklahoma's Department of Classics and Letters. Andrew wrote the recently published The Jewish World of Alexander Hamilton, his third and latest book. The American founding father was born in the Caribbean, and it turns out, he also seemed to be Jewish. We're opening with a short clip from Lin-Manuel Miranda's 2009 performance of the Hamilton mixtape at the White House Poetry Jam, just before the astounding success of the Hamilton musical. Enjoy, and enjoy our conversation. How does a bastard, orphan son of a whore and a Scotsman dropped in the middle of a forgotten spot in the Caribbean by providence impoverished and squalor grow up to be a hero and a scholar? The ten dollar founding father without a father got a lot farther by working a lot harder, by being a lot smarter, by being a... Hello, Andrew Perwancher. How are you today? I'm well. Thanks for having me. Excellent. For those who may not know Andrew, uh, he is the Wick Carey Associate Professor at the University of Oklahoma's Department of Classics and Letters. And very relevant for us today, he's the author of the very freshly launched The Jewish World of Alexander Hamilton. It's his third and latest book. Um, Other things to know about Andrew Porancher are that he is serving as well as the Ernest May Fellow at Harvard's Belfer Center. His other books include The Devil Himself, A Tale of Honor, Insanity, and The Birth of Modern America, which was adapted into theatrical presentation in Dublin, and John Henry Wigmore and the Rules of Evidence, The Hidden Origins of Modern Law, which was an inaugural volume in the series Studies in Constitutional Democracy, and clearly not one to just sit around. He's also at work on his fourth book, Theodore Roosevelt and the Jews, under contract with Princeton, and his fifth book, the Legal Legacy of James Bradley Thayer. Welcome, Andrew. Thank you. Thank you. It's really great to be here. We're very, very happy to have you with us. And I just finished reading the book, as I was just telling you a little earlier, and Alexander Hamilton is swirling around my head all of his deeds and misdeeds, although you basically write mostly about the deeds. Um, Although not only. Okay, they're both out there. And my... First question about this Caribbean-born Jewish by patrilineal descent. Uh, his father was Jewish. No, his mother was Jewish by conversion, correct? According to my book, yeah. According to your book, okay. And in essence, we have a very different kind of founding father in Alexander Hamilton, which many of us might know that from the other work on Hamilton, that by Lin-Manuel Miranda. But what I really wanted to know, and you talk about this uh, in in the book, is that you actually were working on this, on your book, before the Hamilton that that some of us know of um, and are very, uh, very attached to in certain ways. But what I really wanted to hear was, how did you come to this topic? I got into Alexander Hamilton about a decade ago, when I started teaching constitutional history at the University of Oklahoma. And I like to share with my students biographical curiosities about the iconic figures of the American founding in a bid to make 
texts like the Constitution and the Federalist Papers, not so much bloodless abstractions, but more artifacts of humanity. And in sharing with the students details about Alexander Hamilton, I had in advance researched his unusual origins in the Caribbean, and numerous Hamilton scholars had noted that he had a mother named Rachel Levine, and she enrolled him in a Jewish school. And I always thought that these were really odd details for a child who was always assumed to be a cradle-to-grave Christian. And these doubts about the conventional wisdom concerning Hamilton nagged at me for years until I finally decided to apply for a research grant to go to the Caribbean in a bid to seek out answers for myself. Did you at least go to the Caribbean to start your research? <laughs> I, I did. I got to go to the Caribbean to undertake archival research. And I'm actually currently organizing a study abroad trip for students to the islands of Hamilton's origins. That's a, a Hamilton-themed uh, course. Wow, that is pretty amazing and ama amazing sounding course. Um, so before we get to the juxtaposition of the Hamilton life that we're all living now because of the, because of the musical, you know, as you, as I, as I read your book, you, obviously there's all these themes that come back. He was such a tremendous powerhouse, such uh, an incredibly intelligent person creating the treasury funding act bonds, central bank, um, George Washington's right-hand man, his speechwriter, the, the list obviously goes on. And then, of course, you delve into the, what is the Jewish sentiment of those times? How do people actually feel about Jewry? How did Hamilton react to his own, not, not necessarily 100% defined Jewishness, right? Um, and what I kept on thinking about is, how he played this delicate balance between that really sometimes the rife anti-Semitism of those times and his background. How Jewish do you think Alexander Hamilton really was? It's a great question because was he Jewish is so concise and yet it obscures the complexities of Jewish of identity. And part of what I hope to do in this book is in a sense develop a theory of Jewish identity that goes beyond this binary Jew or non-Jew. We can think of Jewish identity in so many senses, personal identity, do I identify as Jewish? Communal identity, does the Jewish community locally see me as Jewish? Universal identity, does the Jewish community globally see me as Jewish? Legal identity, am I Jewish according to the Talmud? Ethnic identity? Do I descend from ancient Israelites? Religious identity? Uh, the list goes on. And what I hope to do is make the case not in a reductive way that Hamilton is simply either Jewish or not Jewish, but rather ask the question, is Hamilton Jewish in any senses of the term for any stretch of his life? And that's a much more nuanced inquiry than a simple Jew or not Jew. Absolutely. Do me a favor. We, we delved quite quickly into things. Could you just remind us of what his Jewish connection was? Sure. I'll do the elevator pitch and the right. movie rights are still available. Yeah, so, the tagline. 
and the and the and the theatrical rights. So <laughs> the the my working theory, and it is admittedly a probabilistic theory, owing to the fragmentary nature of the historical record in the Caribbean at that time. The working theory is that Hamilton's mother, Rachel, is born a Christian in the British Caribbean. She marries a merchant named Johann Levine, who Hamilton's own grandson identifies explicitly as a Jew. She then leaves this troubled marriage, bears Alexander out of wedlock to a Scottish colonist named James Hamilton. And while James is unquestionably a Gentile, there are compelling reasons to think that Rachel raises Alexander in her adopted faith of Judaism, including that she enrolls Alexander in a Jewish school, where we know that he begins, at the very least, rudimentary study of Torah in the original Hebrew because he tells his children that he attends the school of a Jewess, in his words, where she would put him on a table so that they would be eye level when he was little, and he would recite to her the Ten Commandments in the original Hebrew. And from there, the book goes on to uncover uh, a long string of myths that have clouded our understanding of Hamilton and one by one seeks to debunk them in a bid to not only uncover the truth about his religious background in the Caribbean, but also to think critically about how that history may have informed his experience as an adult in America and his ties to the American Jewish community. And of course that brings up all this fascinating historical material uh, Jewish life in New York at the time, Jewish life in Philadelphia, who were the Jews in Newport, Rhode Island, the Turo Synagogue, the various synagogues. I was sort of looking for him to find Alexander Hamilton sitting at a Pesach Seder or in someone's sukkah or at a Friday night dinner. Something I kept on thinking about as I was reading it was the incredible amount of anti-Semitism that exists at the time. Incredible to me incredible to you or not necessarily as a student of this period? It's a great question. I think we often like to think of America as being exceptional within the history of the Jewish diaspora, that anti-Semitism has been endemic to many Middle Eastern societies, of course, to Europe. And yet the American Jewish community is singular in its peace and prosperity. And in some respects, there is some truth to that traditional image of Jewish success in the new world. And yet the story, as with so much Jewish history, is more complicated than than that. And what we find is a strong residue of old world anti-Semitism resurfacing in the American colonies and then even after America declares independence from Britain and does so on the basis of a creed of the equality of all men, we still see an abiding religious prejudice. And so the story of Jews in America is really the story of the tension between an enlightenment informed approach that sought to include Jews as equals with their Gentiles in this newly conceived Republic on the one hand and abiding religious bigotry on the other. And it is that struggle between those two forces 
that forms the backdrop of Hamilton's experience with the American Jewish community and his efforts to secure equality in a nation that had operated on the promise, but not quite the reality of freedom. So it seems to me that he walks a tight, he walked a tightrope in a sense, um, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe essentially he thought of himself as, as if not Christian, because you, you write about that a lot, that he doesn't necessarily really identify with the church so much. He doesn't go to church. He has a very religious wife, but he is not someone who is religious in any sense. But at the same time, as a lawyer, he defends Jews. Um, he, he writes about things in a very careful way. So what's, what are your thoughts about that? Do you think he was walking that tightrope? Or do you think he wasn't even thinking about it? It was, the, it was the last thing on his mind. We have to always have a fair degree of humility when we speculate about a historical figure's internal monologue. <laughs> but I do think that it is a worthy endeavor. And if we frame our claims as historians about the psychology of our characters appropriately and go no further than the evidence merits, I, I certainly think asking ourselves hard questions about how these characters were experiencing the world and the psychological pressures that were brought to bear on them uh, should be more of a part of history. And so I'm really glad that you asked this question. I think too many historians shirk this kind of, of line of study. With respect to Hamilton specifically, I strongly suspect that your tightrope metaphor is an apt one. Hamilton, mm -hmm. on the one hand, has to maintain a nominal pretense to a Christian identity in order to secure some acceptance into the upper echelons of American civic life. So he is nominally Christian, and yet he keeps this distance from church life. And he has a closer relationship with the American Jewish community than any other American founder. Hello, I'm Ari Lam, the host of Good Faith Effort, the podcast where we show how the values and ideas of the Bible can illuminate the most important conversations in society. Want to hear a major music exec talk about the book of Genesis in hip-hop? Leading venture capitalists on how the book of Isaiah informs their work? Or an Oscar-winning producer reflect on how religion can save the American soul? Well, then subscribe to Good Faith Effort on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and listen in to inspiring conversations you won't hear anywhere else. And so Hamilton is walking a tightrope. And part of the reason I think that that is a fair claim to make is that he maintains a lifelong silence about his Caribbean origins. No one who's keeping the first 18 years of his life largely secret is relaxed about their personal history. That's such a great way of putting it, right? Because you just feel there's this big Pandora's box of who was Alexander. I mean, obviously we don't know the conversations he had in private, but you just, for such a public figure, there's so little that seems to be known, even by someone like you who's done this tremendous amount of research. What countries did you tell me you went to? What 
Where have you been for the research on this book? Yeah, so I got to go to Hamilton's native island of Nevis, where he spent the first 10 or 11 years of his life. I traveled to St. Croix, where he spent his teenage years. I got to go to London and Copenhagen, which were the capitals of the European countries that colonized the Caribbean islands where he lived and went to archives up and down the Eastern seaboard in the United States from Washington, DC to New York City to the state archives in Albany. So it's been a long journey that's taken me the better part of a decade, but it's it's been really fun. And uh, I've, been, I've been really privileged to get to not only travel to these places to access archives, but also to see these places as Hamilton experienced them, to stand on the beaches that Hamilton stood on. And so when I write in the book that, you know, what Hamilton would have seen from the edge of Charlestown and Nevis, I know that because I stood there myself. Uh, and so researching this book and especially the travel for it has been a, a real pleasure. It sounds like a wonderful experience. And then of course, in the midst of the decade came Hamilton the musical. <laughs> um, what was that like when when all of this when all of a sudden it sort of exploded out of nowhere? Uh, you were clearly deep into research for the book. What what were your reactions? Sure, I first floated this idea to an editor back in 2013, and then in late 2014, early 2015, started to really develop the project in earnest. And that summer of 2015, I was in New York City doing research for the book when it had its Broadway premiere. And even before the premiere, there were previews. And I went to see one of the preview shows thinking, oh, this is really gimmicky. I would walk by the Rogers Theater because uh, I lived two blocks away when I was doing research in New York every day on my way to the archives. And I thought, well, when else am I going to have an opportunity to see a musical about a historical figure I happen to be writing about? It, on its face, it sounded so gimmicky. I thought, well, this will shut down in two weeks, so I better go right now. And of course, I saw and was struck by what a brilliant piece of art it is and was, was hardly surprised that it ended up catching fire. And I'm deeply indebted to Lin-Manuel Miranda for creating such worldwide interest in this character who really had been sidelined among the founding fathers before the musical came out. And so it, it was, it was, it's been striking to see as a constitutional historian, as someone who studies Jewish history, to see a figure I'm writing about all of a sudden become a cultural phenom who's like cool with teenagers. What's particularly striking about Miranda's approach to Hamilton that I think dovetails with my own is a keen interest in how childhood informs adulthood. And so Miranda in his opening song writes about Hamilton's history in the West Indies. And if you listen to the lyrics carefully in other songs, he's frequently making allusions back to that Caribbean childhood. And similarly, I believe that uncovering Hamilton's religious background in his West Indian youth is so important because of its echoes in his American adulthood. And that in turn informs the shape that religious freedom takes in the early years of the American Republic. And so Miranda, I think more so 
than most biographers is keenly interested in childhood, which is a topic usually given short shrift by scholars as they quickly move on to the more thorough archives and exciting events of people's adulthoods. And so I think the musical is doing something really interesting, not just artistically, but also intellectually. What are some of your major takeaways? You know, I came to this topic and to Jewish studies in general from a background in constitutional studies. And I teach in a constitutional studies program for undergrads that's housed in this interdisciplinary humanities department called Classics and Letters. Uh, But I'm really a constitutional historian turned Jewish historian. Hmm. And it's the nexus of those two fields that I find such a rich vein to mine in American history, because the presence of even a single Jew in a society forces upon that society the question of whether Jew and Gentile will stand upon an equality. And that's going to be true for any given civilization that you're studying. But that question takes on particular salience in a newly conceived American Republic that is dedicated to the creed of equality. And so the question of Jewish belonging in America is really a question about America's self-definition writ large, about whether America is going to live out its creed or whether the animating rhetoric of our founding document is merely a facade masking discrimination. And so what I find so rich about studying American Jewish history is that the Jewish angle can become the lens onto which we can look at American political culture writ large. And so my next project on Theodore Roosevelt, while it's focused on a different time period, a different American statesman, and a different set of issues around the Jewish community. He's preoccupied with how on the diplomatic stage, America is gonna respond to the plight of persecuted Jews in Eastern Europe. At heart, both my Hamilton book and the forthcoming Roosevelt book are fundamentally interested in the question of what the place of the Jew in American society says not just about Jewish history, but about the meaning of the American Republic at large. And which, of course, is so relevant for today, for these times that we're in. Are you going to send a copy of the book to Lin-Manuel Miranda? I think you need to. Yeah, you know, (laughs) I actually um, did uh, send him a PDF early on before other people. I've, I, 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 I'd, I'd love to tell you that Lin-Manuel Miranda and I are, are close friends and play poker. <laughs> the, the reality is I met him once very briefly uh, after one of these preview shows. And he was, very fun, he, was, he was very friendly and was like, good luck with the book. And, you know, was very encouraging. Uh, but I did have a chance to speak to some of the other cast members uh, at, at greater length. David Diggs, who was cast yeah. to play Thomas Jefferson, is half Jewish. Half African-American, half Jewish. And his mother, who's Jewish, was in the audience that night. And so the three of us after the show ended up having a long chat about the complexities and ambiguities of Jewish identity. And if anyone could appreciate that with real nuance, it was David Diggs. So uh, I I should I should, you know, 
find out who Sam his, Debbie Diggs his is, is uh, and, and try to get a copy into his hands as well. Uh, this has been fantastic, Andrew. I really appreciate it. This was really fun. Self-starter by 14, they placed him in charge of the trade and charter. And every day while slaves were being slaughtered, or carted away across the waves, our Hamilton kept his guard up. Inside he was longing for something to be a part of. The brother was ready to beg, steal, borrow, or barter. Then a hurricane came, devastation reigned. And our man saw his future drip, dripping down the drain. Put a pencil to his temple, connected it to his brain. And he wrote his first refrain. Testament to his pain Well the word got around They said this kid is insane man Took up a collection just to say Hi, it's Sarah Tuttle Singer from the Times of Israel. Come join our community and support fast and fair independent journalism. You can sign up with the link at the bottom of every single article on the site. Thank you so much for listening to Times Will Tell and a special thanks to TLV1 Studios for sound production help. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to Times Will Tell on all podcast platforms. (laughs) 